It's got a soul, this here old farm It falls asleep inside my arms We walk the fields under the stars For love is here in Goldshaw Farms Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. Each episode on our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And right now, I am standing in the brooder inside our barn as I record this podcast intro for you guys. Um, Just the other day, we actually had 31 baby goslings show up here at the farm. And uh, these little goslings are the cutest little things in the world. Uh, You can hear them peeping and pipping right behind me. Um, They are little fluff balls right now, but they're going to grow up to be some pretty big birds. We are raising uh, some geese here on our farm for meat, and uh, these goslings are our first attempt at doing that. I'm pretty excited. I'm actually trying to spend as much time as possible with the goslings because I want to get them very comfortable with me uh, because eventually... I'm going to have to work with these 30-plus birds on pasture and move them around. And uh, geese, as you know, can be a little bit testy if they're not familiar with their keeper. And so I'm trying to spend as much time with them as possible and get them as comfortable with me as possible, which means, you know, I'm recording something like this while sitting in our brooder. Um, Today I have a very special interview for you guys. It is a good friend of mine from across the pond in the UK. I'm going to be having a conversation today with Liz Zorab of By Their Farm. So without giving away too much of Liz's story, she lives in the UK in what's known as a small holding. Um, We call it a homestead here in the United States. Uh, she's, She's in Wales specifically. And her Her story is something I really can identify with because she's someone who was struggling and and having some some challenges living a fast-paced, more urban life. And it took taking a step back and moving to the countryside and focusing on growing her own food to, to really make some positive changes. So here is my conversation with Liz Zorab of Buy Their Farm. I grew up uh, on the outskirts of Bristol, uh, which is uh, quite a large city, but we lived in a, a rural area. Uh, it was a, a fairly small village. Uh, I grew up with my family there, um, but it was, I guess it's suburban. Um, and uh, I spent most of my life there. And then uh, when I got to 18, I moved into the city because that's what you do when you're 18. Uh, I went and lived in the city for a few years and by the time I got to my mid-twenties I was yearning to get back out into the countryside uh, and I've been in the country ever since. And, and growing up in suburbia like that, did you, you know, did your parents or your family or you like grow your own food? Like what was your experience there? Uh, my, my dad was quite a keen gardener. He didn't get very much time to garden. In fact, he got very little time to garden, but he was really keen. Uh, He was one of those people who very much liked everything in very neat, straight rows. Uh, And my mother was the opposite. She liked the scrambly cottage garden thing. Uh, So they did a lot of flower gardening. um, And my dad, 
occasionally grew tomatoes um, and the, the odd, maybe some potatoes here and there, but not an, an awful lot. But he, uh, he instilled a respect for nature in me. Um, so at a very early age, he taught me how to uh, pop a snapdragon uh, flower uh, and also how to, how to pop a fuchsia which I don't think we were supposed to do, but uh, popped fuchsias. Uh, so I was very young, maybe about three, when I started uh, just looking at uh, at plants and the way they are. Um, but um, I was probably about 20 uh, before I got my own garden. And I had been watching Gardener's World, which uh, is a long-standing uh, weekly gardening programme here in the UK. And the then presenter, Jeff Hamilton, uh, was showing us how to take cuttings from flowers. Uh, and I had some of the, these asters that he was taking a cutting of. And I tried it. So I you know, snipped off the end and dipped it in rooting powder and put it into some soil. And it grew. And it, I, I, from that point onwards, I was just completely, completely hooked I was amazed that I could then reproduce plants. I could grow my own plants. I could buy one and have loads. And that was the beginning of my absolute love of gardening. When you went from, you know, being kind of in your 20s, 30s, living in a city, working, obviously, I'm assuming sort of city type work and jobs to out now where you're out living in the countryside, what was it that drove you to make that switch? I was, uh, I, d I did various different jobs for work and most of them were working uh, in the uh, voluntary sector with charities uh, and some community development. And then I went on to do a bit of retail for a while, uh, working for myself. And then, um, and then I, my last paid job in inverted commas uh, was with, with a professional rugby team and uh, I was a, a liaison person between uh, the rugby club uh, and and the fans, and I ran the, the junior fan club, which was absolutely brilliant. Uh, but while I was there, uh, I, be, I became quite ill, uh, and uh, I rapidly went downhill. I ended up with about three or four months uh, bed-bound where I couldn't get out of bed at all, and it became really obvious I wasn't going to be going back to quite the demanding job at the rugby club and I would need to find something else that would work for me. And in the meantime, uh, Mr J and I were looking for uh, a new home and uh, we, you know, we had a list of things that we wanted and none of them uh, were to buy a homestead. <laughs> but we came and looked at this house and we just completely fell in love with it. And we were, we had been looking for... A garden that was large enough for me to grow a few fruit and veg, but but nothing huge. And when we came here uh, to our, our vast homestead here, it's not vast, uh, it's eight tenths of an acre, so it's really small. <laughs> but when we came here, I, I said there was an opportunity for me to um, have a financial input into our family by growing and as raising as much of our own food as possible. So that then became my job. Uh, so my job is now to, to put food on the table, uh, just not so much in the traditional sense of going out to work and earning the money. Uh, I'm actually just out there growing it. And um, we eat about 85% uh, of all our food 
it is grown here uh, one way or another. Um, and so some meals it's 75 to 85% and others it's 100%, which is a absolutely awesome feeling. Um, so th- it was it was a it was a forced move in some ways, but then I kind of just seized the chance of being able to say, in some ways, I can work to my own timetable, um, and certainly I can take great swathes of the winter off, uh, which is when I need to take time off. <laughs> now, was it the gardening that improved your health problems, or did your health problems improve so you can garden? Like, what was the relationship there between those two situations? Oh. Honestly, don't know which it was. I think there was, I think it was probably 50-50. The, the fresh air, the sunshine, uh, although uh, when we moved here, it was it was fairly <laughs> windy. It was autumn. But uh, being out in the fresh air, getting my hands in the soil uh, and having something like a creative project to do um, certainly helped. And, and when we moved here, I was on walking sticks. Uh, so I was my my mobility was really limited, but bit by bit uh, the walking sticks disappeared, and then I got I could push a wheelbarrow, and you know, and then I could dig, and and as time went on, uh, I got stronger, and the stronger I got, the more I could do, uh, and so I think it was you know it was a cyclical thing of I was getting better, but actually working on the land was helping me get better too. Tell me the story of that first season of growing where, you know, you're, you're out there, you're on a new property, you're trying to figure out how to maximize your, you know, 0.8 acres and, and, and figure out how to grow your own food. Like, how do you try to attack a project like that? I had in my mind a kind of grand vision of, of what it might be like. So I had actually more than in my mind, I had sketched out a plan of what I thought I wanted to do. Um, but my approach is to just tackle a very small part at a time. So I created uh, one raised bed and I focused on that. Uh, I built it and I got food growing in it before I went on to uh, the next raised bed. So over that first year, I created about eight raised beds and they just kind of looked like raised beds plonked in the middle of a field. Um, and they, they, they almost didn't have any context but I knew that I knew how I wanted the rest of the garden uh, to fit around them. I knew that I wanted to have a food forest that wrapped around uh, my annual vegetable garden, but to be able to create that one small piece at a time really worked for me. That thing of just concentrating on a, a bite-sized piece that you can you can cope with and you can deal with right now, rather than looking at the whole thing and thinking oh I've got so much to do Uh, what I was looking at was one piece and and this is all I've got to do so a little bit like if you I don't use uh, I don't use digging in my gardening but if you are digging uh, it's it's always a good idea to keep your back to the area that you're digging so you're only looking at what you've achieved rather than what you've got left to do so it was it was very much a uh, a small chunk, a small bite-sized pieces, and just deal with those one at a time. And then when you stand back and look, all of a sudden, uh, you've got quite a big garden going on around you. I think that's that's really nice to hear that you really did take that approach of starting small and then expanding out. I, I think yeah. a lot of times people will go different paths. Either um, they will try to take on way too much right out of the gate and burn themselves out. 
or they'll feel like they need these giant tracts of land and only use a small percentage. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of both of those sins. <laughs> I, I, you know, we've got a giant farm here and I probably use about 7% of the land right now. Um, and at the same time, I've taken on so many projects that have, you know, pushed me to the point of burnout. But if I've always felt like I've struggled with that self-discipline of, of staying focused and, and starting small. How do you keep yourself on track without getting too ambitious for, for your britches? Uh, oh, the ambition is there. The ambition is there. But I also know that um, I have limited resources financially. I have limited resources in terms of my energy. Um, and I would rather see uh, one plant growing that was going to feed us than a whole load of bare soil that is doing nothing. So it, in some ways, it's that thing of, of I actually want, I want the satisfaction of completion in some ways. So I would rather complete a very small area and go, hey, look what I achieved than look at a huge area and look what I didn't achieve. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. As you have that small piece of land, do you have any animals on, on the land? Oh, we do. So uh, things have changed. We've moved things around on our homestead quite a lot uh, as we've experimented, uh, tried things. Uh, so we have, uh, I'm going to mention our all-important farm cat, uh, Monty, who is my constant companion outside. Uh, and he helps me uh, look after a whole bunch of chickens. At the moment, we've got about... I think we've got 30 chickens at the moment. Uh, last year, we had something like 120 chickens, which is just way too many for our needs. But we did that thing where, you know, you get three and three becomes nine and then all of a sudden you've got 30 and then, hey, look, you can hatch a load of chicks out and, uh, yeah, suddenly it just exploded and we had way too many chickens hanging around. Uh, so I've reduced the flock uh, right down and that's one of the things that helps us uh, put food on the table uh, and the other thing is at the moment we have uh, we've got eight, eight uh, Aylesbury ducks and uh, five Aylesbury ducklings and last year we had uh, guinea fowl and we had turkeys as well wow that's that's a for for less than an acre that's a <laughs> quite a flock that you have there um as you are starting to expand out some of the things that you're doing and becoming more and more efficient with how you use your land. I know you've, you've mentioned to me before that you're planning on starting to try to, you know, do a little bit of market gardening and starting to sell a little bit more of what you grow yes. beyond just yeah. providing you and your family food. How do you approach, you know, doing it as a business differently than doing it for yourself or your household? I... Spent, I spent the last two years kind of gauging how much food we need uh, for us and how much food this land can produce. So uh, last year, in the last 12 months, um, we have, or I have put together about £2,000 in weight uh, of food from about a third of an acre. Uh, so I know I've got some more land that I can play with, which means that if I use that land uh, in market garden style and use it really efficiently, uh, I can then grow for other people as well. So, so my approach has been to, to find out what it is that we needed for us to start with. Uh, I now know we, have, we can easily produce all the food we need 
uh, and store it away for a year. And and from that, it's like, well, I've got this extra land and I either uh, let it get covered in thistles and brambles uh, and, and let it return to nature, which isn't what I want to do. Uh, I could have more poultry on it, uh, which is also I don't want to do. Uh, or I can use it for something else and that's the area that I'm then going to use to uh, to grow more food and, and to be able to sell that. And I'm going to use uh, a CSA model, uh, so a, a community supported agriculture model, uh, where uh, local people will uh, agree to have um, vegetables from us um, every week for about 22 weeks. Um, and they will be, there will be lots of things um, that we'll be doing in terms of, of getting our customers, not just to be uh, regular customers, but to be actually kind of part of the farm as well. I think that's a very good point for anybody who's thinking about trying to, to treat a little bit as a business when you think about your customers, right? Uh, you know, making them a part of your farm and bringing them into what you're doing there versus just having it be a transactional relationship of, hey, we give you money, you give us food. Um, that, that, that's kind of a, an, an interesting idea. What are the things that you're doing to, to really bring that to life? So we are, um, I've been talking to people basically, I've been talking to them, I've been inviting them around to have a look at what we're doing and everybody is just blown away by, uh, by partly where we are because we're, we're in a really pretty site. Uh, we're on the Seven Estuary. Uh, the Seven River is a tidal river um, and there are two uh, two bridges that span it and we are in between those bridges. So the views are beautiful. Makes it very windy, but the views are beautiful. Um, and we're also kind of tucked away and hidden. So it, lots and lots of local residents don't know that we're here. And I don't even mean know that we are here. They don't know the houses are here. Uh, so when they come and they look and they can see how much is being produced... Uh, and, and it's evident because once they walk through the food forest, they're kind of fighting their way past currant bushes and apple trees and things. Um, so there is this kind of this, there's that sense of, wow, it's really being grown locally. They can see that there are big piles of um, composting uh, chicken manure and things. And so they can see what's going into the ground. They can see that I'm doing it. And they're also invited they you know they're welcome to come almost any time they want um there there is a i do ask people not to come and visit us on a sunday because you know that's a family day for us um but otherwise people can can pitch up and see what we're doing so it, it's there's that little bit of people just getting to know that we're here getting to understand how we work and then talking to them a little bit more about um about how that veg, veg scheme will work because it's not just uh, buy a veg box in the UK uh, veg boxes are really popular but you choose your veg box you choose how much you're going to pay and you're going to get you know seven different types of vegetables each week and it's going to weigh approximately this much whereas with this scheme uh, I'm going to be harvesting uh, in fact not just me uh, one of my customers is going to be coming with me and harvesting with me uh, so we'll harvest on one day a week and then everything that's harvested will just get divided between those boxes. So we, maybe some weeks people will have uh, not very much of something or another. They're going to share in that glut. And as 
as people get to understand you know this week you might get two tomatoes but next week when they're all ripe you're going to get so many tomatoes they're going to be you know filling your freezer i think people really like that idea that they are they're sharing the harvest in in uh, in the way that it's just more personal when you when you know where your food is coming from you know what's going into it and it's not just the same standard old vegetables that you see every week in a box that's that's awesome to you know i think you're you're right making them a part of your farm success making them really ingrained into what you're doing having them help i think those are some great tactics to to bring it all together and bring people into your farm you know, one thing, though, is, as I was thinking about it, as you were talking there, is, and I know we've talked a little bit before about this in the past, you know, as we've seen the rise of the homesteading movement, and we see more and more people focused on growing their own food, one of the things I've yeah. been struck by is the difference about how it's it's growing and, and manifesting itself here in the United States versus how it's doing it in, in, in the UK. From From your vantage point, what would you contrast as the major differences? The... The whole growing setup uh, in the UK is, I think it's very different. Um, I mean, we speak a different, although we speak the same language, Morgan, we speak a different language because uh, when we talk about going out to the garden, uh, we're just walking outside our house. Uh, so I think that's what you call a yard. Um, that's anything outside our house is our garden. Uh, and Britain is a nation of gardeners. Um we have the advantage of having uh, a perfect climate for for great growing. Uh, we've got a very long growing season. Uh, it doesn't get incredibly cold for incredibly long. It doesn't get incredibly hot or incredibly dry. L- last summer was a um, was an exception to that. We had uh, quite a few weeks without uh, without any rain. Um, we were all walking around going good grief you know this hasn't happened for 30 odd years um but but basically we have beautiful growing conditions here which allow us to grow uh large quantities of very lush uh, vegetables now we can't grow tropical things uh because uh, we're not hot enough um but we can grow cold uh, cold weather crops and and there's kind of temperate climate crops um, and because, uh, particularly in Wales, where I am, uh, we have a very high rainfall. Um, it, everything is <laughs> everything's very lush. Uh, so I think uh, I think we have. Um, I think there is um, an increased interest in growing your own food here in the UK. I don't. Uh, I think, as you know, I'm not a huge one to uh, talk politics publicly, but there there is um, there is. It seems just seem to be. Uh, an increased interest in growing uh, vegetables and fruit and not just having a floral garden and there's also a, an increase in interest in uh, in raising food organically uh, and soil care and uh, that program I talked about earlier on Gardener's World is very good at championing uh, new causes so uh, this year there's very much or the last couple of years there's very much been a call for um, not using uh, plastics within your garden and certainly getting rid of any single-use plastics um, and there's also campaigns to um, to use peat-free gardening because uh, the use of peat here in the UK is 
well that there are only so many peat resources and we're uh, we're using them up so there's quite a lot of environmental uh, awareness um that goes hand in hand um with all that gardening yeah i think that that's that's interesting about the kind of the awareness and the focus on you know how do i say it so like the the gardening tradition that has existed in the UK and, and really Europe as a whole, because I think as you you look at the history of agriculture in the in Europe, I guess I'll just paint broadly, right? Yeah. You you've often had this constraint of space. Europe has been a content that has just populated with people in a significant way for hundreds yeah. and hundreds of years. But meanwhile, within North America. Uh, you know, in the United States specifically, land was always kind of one of the cheaper resources out there because you could always just go further west as you think back, you know, 150, <laughs> 200 years. Yeah. And and because of that, you know, the focus here was never on, um, you know, efficiency and maximizing your space. It was often on maximizing your time and your speed and you had labor constraints. So you tried to figure out ways to work around that. What I think we're seeing though now is a sort of like convergence between that European method where you have to maximize your space because, you know, now in the United States, there's, there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> um, and, 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 I, and I think it's, it's kind of interesting to see, see those approaches converge with, with things like intensive market gardening and, and such. Yeah, uh, that, that intensive growing, I think uh, I'm always surprised when people give their plants so much space. Um, maybe that's why I can produce a lot of food uh, in a small space because you know I actually have uh, I have a huge garden in comparison uh, to most British people um, we are really a small island <laughs> and uh, although it's not you know it's not crammed in and about about 70 percent of our space is arable space so it's you know there are a lot of green areas here but it does mean uh, that those 60 uh, 65 67 million people are living in quite a concentrated area and yeah and we, that intensive uh, growing method i think is just is just how things are what has been the biggest challenge you've faced this year as you're you're looking to expand out on your farm and and continue the growing and continue producing your own food uh, I think my biggest challenge has been, uh, it's just been my attitude, actually. It's been, uh, uh, can I, can I do it? Am I able to? Rather than, I want to do this, I can do this. Um, and so there have, <laughs> there have been times where I've just said, I need more space, but actually I don't. What I need to do is be more efficient with the space I've got. Um, and, uh, I need to be uh, less uh, less nimsy about the weather. Um, it started raining while we're talking and I'm thinking, oh, does that mean I can't go back outside and work this afternoon? Yeah, it probably does. I'll stay inside. And the reality is, no, I know I'm waterproof. I can go and garden. So I think uh, I think my my biggest challenges are always uh, my my mental challenges, my my attitude and my uh, come on, girl, get up and go and do it. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a good point. That so much of the the biggest challenges you're gonna face sits right in between your ears, uh, yeah. <laughs> and just yeah, <laughs> sort of how you view the challenges that you have in front of you, and how you view whether it's the weather or the work you have to do. Uh, I, I, I'm gearing up to mulch a couple hundred trees today, and 
it's not the thing I'm looking forward to, but I know it's so necessary. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, it's so much about just how you frame the challenge you've got in front of you and how you tackle that. So if I've got 200 trees uh, to compost and mulch around, uh, I'm going to do that with my back to the row and work backwards so that I'm not looking at uh, all those trees in front of me. I'm only going to look at the ones I've already done, Morgan, and that's a really good suggestion. That's all, that, that is 100% <laughs> awesome. I am, I am doing that today. That's, that's such a great idea. Now you kind of have to be a bit careful you don't trip over anything. <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah, just the really one thing I gotta watch to look for. At all exactly. The things right? you've done, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, as, as you're looking out to the future, you know, three, five years, even ten years out, wh- what do you hope to accomplish with with your your space? Like, what what do, what are your plans for the future? Uh, the ducks at the moment uh, have their own duck enclosure, which is right next to the vegetable garden. Um, and, and one of the things I really want to do is to, to get down the fence between the duck enclosure and the vegetable garden so that the ducks uh, can do their job in the vegetable garden and remove slugs and snails um, just every day. So that's a constant keeping on top of them. Um, at the moment, our raised beds are about, uh, about 8 to 12 inches um, in height, uh, which for an Aylesbury duck is nothing um, and uh, the ducks the ducks are really good if I keep an eye on them the entire time but if I want to walk away they will be in a raised bed uh, eating whatever is in there uh, so this year or between now and maybe in two years time three years time I want to have raised or put some sort of protection around all of my raised beds uh, so that we can uh, get the, the fence down between the vegetables and the ducks and they can be in there because, um, as I'm sure you know, they are absolutely superb uh, at finding slugs and snails and other bits and pieces in the ground. Um, and that allows me then to uh, not only uh, not have to worry about uh, slug and sl- snail protection quite so much, uh, but they're also going to be fertilising the pathways uh, which at the moment a wood chip, uh, the, the more that they are on those pathways, the faster that wood chip is going to turn into a very nice quality compost that I can then get onto, onto the raised beds. So it's that kind of dual purpose. They'll be uh, removing uh, removing slugs and snails, but also helping me create compost uh, for the raised beds. So that's that's one thing. And the I guess from leading on from that, I would also really like them. Uh, to be able to get into the food forest during the summer months as well but they are they have no manners my ducks um, and they will eat all the cherries off the trees they will eat all the currants from the bushes Uh, strawberries are a particular favorite so uh, raspberries they like in the autumn until I can actually train the ducks which I'll never do (laughs) to behave uh, I'm gonna have to find some way of of either protecting those plants or just waiting until those plants are more mature before the ducks can be uh, working in the food forest. And now this is a question I, I usually ask all, all the guests on our podcast. Um, for, for somebody who's out there listening to this now, whether they're commuting to a job or at work or you know just mowing their lawn, what advice would you have for them if they wanted to try to start growing their own food or start their own homestead? Oh, just absolutely believe that you can do it and spend the time you have now learning 
Uh, you can learn so much from books, from YouTube, from talking to other people, from visiting places and just build yourself a wealth of knowledge so that when you do get uh, your piece of land, whether that is your balcony, uh, your your urban backyard, your suburban place, or you manage to get a, a homestead in a rural area, once you're there, once you've got your bit of land, you're going to hit the ground running. You're going to, to understand and know what it is that you want to do and not just stand in your field or your garden or your balcony and think, where do I begin? That was a pretty cool story, right? I uh, I really enjoyed chatting with Liz and uh you know, it's funny, after we did that interview, she's been sending me uh, little short video clips and pictures of her life on her homestead in, in Wales. And I got to say, it, it's just really darling and really precious. I mean, it, you know, you, you always have these, I guess in America, we always have these um, impressions of the UK and an English country garden and all that sort of stuff. And and Liz's property really embodies that. And when some of the stuff that Liz is doing really brings that to life. Um, if you guys want to learn more about Liz and, and see what she actually has going on, I recommend you check out her YouTube channel, Liz Zorab by their farm. I'll leave a link for it uh, down in the show notes. And uh, yeah, that's that's what we got this episode. I'm still here in the brooder hanging out with the baby goslings. If you guys want to see the baby goslings in action, uh, or as my wife Allison calls them, the baby gooselings, be sure to check out our YouTube channel, Goldshaw Farm. I'll be documenting their growth and development and a lot of the things I'm doing to really try to raise geese on pasture for me. Um, and yeah, that's what I got for this episode. Um, thank you guys again, as always, for the support and taking time out of your busy, busy days to listen to our podcast. If you could, and this would be a huge help for me, um, please share this stuff with your friends. The more you guys spread the word with folks, the more we grow and, and the more I can keep focusing on making these podcast episodes. And so, you know, if you don't mind, please just either write a review for us or rate us wherever you're getting your podcast or, you know, just take a link to one of our episodes and, and share it uh, on your Facebook feed or Twitter feed or Instagram or wherever you're doing your thing. Um, and, and that's really how we grow and that's really how we build a community. And I've appreciated so many of those efforts that you guys have put in so far and, and, and just asked, yeah, please, please continue the support. It, it means a ton to me. And, and that's what we've got for this episode. We will be back again real soon with another story of homesteading, farming, and chasing your dreams here on the Gold Shaw Farm podcast. Uh, with that, I will ask my good friend, Mr. Keith Pierce, to play our theme song. It's got a soul. Hero farm, it falls asleep inside my arms. We work the fields under the stars. The love is here at Gold Shop Farms. A city life yet had its charms. But we would dream of the fields under the stars. I fall asleep inside its arms. Here at Gold Shop Farms, the love is here at Gold Shop Farms.